Hello, and welcome to the Gundam Sentinel Podcast. My name is Gordon, and I'll be your host of this limited run series. Gundam Sentinel is a side story set in the Universal Century timeline of Mobile Suit Gundam. I've always loved this IP, and I wanted to share my love analysis of this with you. This does, however, contain spoilers for other works in the Universal Century timeline, so be warned. I hope you guys enjoy. Chapter 8 The Battle of Ayer City Ayuzu no Kobo Roots found the Mark V's blue form quickly. He cursed and yelled. You killed my companion, so now I'll kill you. Friends are the most important thing. Must take revenge for hurt friends. Who are my friends? He is one. The one within my body. He is my friend, and so I must protect him. If he is hurt, I need to take revenge for him. It's called the Pact of Friendship. But is it right to do that if it involves hurting others? EXS Gundam took aim and a destructive beam of white light shot towards a Mark V. The targeting reticle on the linear seats panoramic display was still over the blue suit. Roos thought he destroyed the target for sure. Inside the target of Mark V, Cod had regained his composure following the battle with the Fast Squadron. He activated his descent mode. He fired up his rear primary thrusters and discarded his shield thrusters. The Mark V's combat shield, in addition to protecting the suit's body, served an additional purpose. Vernier thrusters installed in the shield can be used to propel the suit forward when the shield is locked into the suit's shoulder notch. However, Cod was nearly out of propellant, so it was pointless to carry the shield any longer. As the suit was entering the second stage of landing, Cod pressed the separation button and a small bomb ignited, forcefully disengaging the heavy shield. As he jettisoned the shield, and he could see it flying away, all of a sudden, the shield was destroyed by a white beam of light. His suit was buffeted by the force of explosion and debris from the shield. Brutes was stunned. The blue suit flew out of the explosion unscathed and still trying to descend. All he could do was say inadvertently, incredible. Praising the target of his revenge, even though his mind is full of hatred? I don't understand. There are many things about war that I don't understand. There are many things about humans that I don't understand. I can assume there is an inconsistency in the theory and label of a fault, or an abnormality. But no human is consistent in battle, combat. Humans, inconsistent theories, abnormal. I was created to fight in battle. I was created to be human. So have I become part of that abnormal humanity? Roots got on his radio and reported that the Mark V had escaped his ambush and to calculate his likely landing point. He was told by Mannings that the projected landing point was Area 11A-2580 which is behind the first wave of allied mobile suits. The EXS got a maneuver to the lunar surface in pursuit of the Mark V. Ayer City had most of its facilities under the lunar surface. Since it was initially an observation base, it lacked formal city planning, so its layout was haphazard. The city government was in a massive 30-kilometer radius dome-shaped structure on the surface and also housed a spaceport. A mobile suit had entered. 
Is that the enemy's descent team? The GM3 squadron in charge of guarding the spaceport aimed their rifles at the invader. They gradually began to see that the suit structure was different from the GM series suits used by the enemy invaders. Don't shoot! I'm a friendly. I am Tosh Kray of the new decides. It was a Zekut Swai. The guard team lowered their rifles. The Zekut Swai's heels spurted sparks of fire as his gigantic clumsy body landed easily on the ground. I want to see the mayor. Where's Mayor Kaiser Pinefield? Cray quickly asked the guard team once his machine had finished cooling down. Right. The mayor's in the main hall. You can take your mobile suit through the underground transportation tunnels to get to the dome. The commander's mobile suit pointed a finger at the far end of the spaceport, the entrance to the mass driver. It was similar to the subways of old. The mass driver was built when colonies were first built to allow for the transport of crucial minerals from the moon into space. The mass driver's tracks were buried beneath the lunar surface and ran 8 kilometers to the east of the city. It then continued on the surface for an additional 4 kilometers with a high launching rail. Resources were flung into space via magnetic carts at speeds of 2380 meters per second in order to obtain escape velocity from the moon. Cray used one of the carts to head towards the City government dome. He then proceeded towards the mayor's office after heeding the directions of a worker. The door to the mayor's office was made from an aged red cypress, which reminded Cray of the smell of earth. He was allowed in and was able to meet the mayor, a man with a muscular frame and a military uniform. He was sitting behind an oak desk. The uniform was that of a Federation officer from the One Year War era, but not, did not have any medals or insignias. The mayor brought Cray up to speed and showed him a display which laid out Air City's militia. White Squadron with its member of the Youth Academy led by Offshore. Red Squadron led by former soldiers over the age of 65 with military experience. Blue Squadron's former Titans forces. Cray felt it was unbearable that they had to use young and old soldiers for its defense. The mayor said directly to Cray, This is the will of the residents of Air City. Ever since our forefather's generation, Air City's residents have embraced loyalty to the Earth. If we lose today, the Earth will no longer be for Earthnoids, and we're all well aware of that. It's a shame because I doubt that such a small military force will be able to achieve any significant results. However, I believe that even if we are sacrificed, the remaining lunar cities will continue to carry on our will. Thus, every single resident of our city is determined to sacrifice himself. This is the spirit of Iris City. Besides, there is still a chance that the other cities will send reinforcements before we are wiped out. Cray was relieved and was hopeful that Iris City could do this for the new decides. He said that the new decides would fight to the end. While we understand your good intentions, we cannot accept your offer. Why is that? The residents of Iris City are religiously devoted to the Earth. Our philosophy is different from your own philosophy to fight for the Earth. We'll never forget that humanity originated on Earth. If Iris City is the last remaining tombstone for Earth's past policies, then we are willing to guard that tombstone to the end. However, you people are different. Your existence serves as a reminder to every one of the mistakes of the Federation government, so you all cannot be easily sacrificed. You must let the Earth Federation know how courageous we are fighting here, even if we die here. All of you can only die on Earth soil. Mayor, the Lunar City Coalition will definitely succeed. I too hope so. 
but the situation does not permit me to let you do that. The mayor looked at the diagram on the monitor that represented the city streets. A long line extended to the outskirts. Cray understood the mayor's plan, but still felt some hesitation. But it's so old. Won't it be dangerous? The mayor's facial expression implied that it would not be a problem. He nodded. The two then started to analyze and revise the entire defense plan. Although the first wave of the Sen troops encountered fierce resistance, they managed to construct a beachhead once the second wave caught up to them. The two waves, consisting of nearly 50 suits combined, formed a horizontal line surrounding the southwest end of Iris City. The third wave of mobile suits, escorted by the two Zeta Plus suits, also began their landing operation. The White Squadron, led by Offshore, had been able to issue a lot of damage to the first wave of troops. However, the Federation forces had established a foothold, and Offshore had to order his young group of troops to fall back. They were not eager to listen and wanted to press forward, even if it cost them their lives. Offshore, for the first time, understood the responsibility of leading his troops and the chance that they could die. Caught in the Mark V were spotted by the Iron City forces. They spotted his descent to the surface and had informed Offshore. And so, Offshore relayed the order to White Squadron. Our army's Gundam is going to land behind enemy lines. Its pilot is the leader of our faction who will eliminate the enemies in one fell swoop. We must do everything in our power to protect him and make sure he lands safely. Upon hearing our army's Gundam, the young cadets became full of excitement. Not only had the word Gundam always stood for justice, but his pilot was leader of the new decides. This motivated the squadron to complete their assigned task. Khan was able to land his mobile suit by an advancing wave of Federation Force mobile suits that were advancing on the White Squadron's position, and was able to destroy them in concert with the young troops. Once they were dealt with, Khan wanted to meet with Cray and made several jumps toward the Central Government Hall. Meanwhile, Sigmund and Tex and their Zeta Pluses, along with Roots and the EXS, found the Mark V and gave chase. Offshore recognized their plan and tried to attack the squadron of Gundams from behind. He fired and hit Sigmund's Zeta Plus and was damaged, but not destroyed. Roots blurted out, Hey, at this rate, we'll all die. Will he die? Does he intend to charge straight in? I must protect him. I must get him out of danger. The EXS was fired upon, but was able to evade all the enemy's attacks. Shockingly, Roots cursed again. Alice took over the controls and was able to avoid all attacks as Roots was dumbfounded. Roots noticed the Mark V took the opportunity to escape and curse once again, calling the enemy pilot a whore. 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 Whore? Was it wrong to save his life? No. 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 It's useless to exchange your life for the enemies. Were you wrong, or was I? Is it a sin to make logical decisions? Negating dangerous instincts cannot be considered a sin, can it? If that is true then, to humans, is being meaningless a form of meaning? Debating whether to confirm or negate? Is this emotion? Is this what it means to be human? Roots hammered violently on the cockpit's display and spat in disgust. Of course, he did not realize that another will was within the S Gundam. 
her ability to make decisions had experienced a great change. March 17th. The first day of the battle for Iyer City came to an end just like that. The battle over the next several days became more intense. Cray wanted to make sure his Lunar City coalition to come to fruition and inform other Luna cities what was going on. Ayer City controlled an area less than one kilometer radius around the central government hall. Cray and the mayor were informed that there were some protests in Von Braun City against the Earth Federation forces, but nothing more. It was, in the end, ineffective, Captain Cray. You've worked so hard. But it appears that the people of the moon know space noise do not support your ideology. No matter the case, everybody's either politically or economically dependent on the Earth. And so it is Earth that dictates how we must handle affairs. Without the Earth, humans are unable to survive. Now, for better or for worse, whoever controls Earth is the representative of justice. I finally figured out the situation, but the price to do so is too high. We're still not dead yet. We'll fight to the bitter end, sir. Let's create more pa painful memories for them, said Cray. But first, we have to escape from their web that surrounds us. If we execute our earlier plan, we won't be able to hope for any further assistance, said the mayor. The end of Ayer City was approaching. The new decides had once again made preparations to escape. The decision was made on March 24th. There is no new mobile suits feature in this episode or chapter. We'll have to wait and see if there's one that'll be introduced in the next chapter. For this week, we'll touch upon a concept known as the mass driver. It was something that was created by Gerard O'Neill. I won't go into a lot of detail about him as he was covered in an episode of Mobile Suit Breakdown podcast. Suffice to say, however, his influence on Gundam is immeasurable as the very design of the space colony was based on the O'Neill cylinder. The inspiration of the Mass Driver may have come from the famous 1966 science fiction book The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Robert A. Heinlein. In this book, the Mass Driver is known as an induction catapult. In essence, the Mass Driver was devised via a non-rocket space launch modality that would use a linear motor to accelerate its payload up to high speeds which could achieve escape velocity. The Mass Driver had been seen in various anime projects including Metal Armor Dragon R, a Gundam influence show that aired from 1977 to 1988. A very important figure in the Gundam franchise would serve as the mechanical designer for Dragonar, none other than Okawara Kunio-san himself. The Mass Driver served as an important fixture of that show. The Mass Driver would also be featured in later Gundam properties including Char's Counterattack, Unicorn, Victory Gundam. Yeah. Speaking about Victory Gundam, that scene was very rough for me too. To my knowledge, Gundam Sentinel was the first entry in the Universal-centric canon which featured this technology. The Mass Driver 1 was created in 1976 as a proof of concept. It was envisioned as a way to launch payloads from a lunar base to Lagrange Point 5. O'Neill proposed that a space colony would be built at, at rather Lagrange Point 4 or 5. In terms of Gundam, Lagrange Point 5 equates to the location of side 1 and 4, then after Universal-century 0084, sides 1 and 6 clusters. This particular model consists of a series of 20 drive coils where the payload would be pushed by a series of magnetic fields. To decrease resistance, liquid nitrogen is used to cool down the bucket coil and is able to achieve an impressive acceleration of 30 Gs or 300 uh, meters per second squared in acceleration. 
It was designed by O'Neill of Princeton and Henry Colm of MIT and constructed by several grad students at MIT, mostly for material that was scavenged at the Bitter Magnet Laboratory at MIT. I was able to actually find a, a video on YouTube demonstrating the firing of the mass drivers one through three. One slide from the video demonstrated that later iterations of the mass driver were able to achieve an acceleration of 30 Gs to as much as 1800 Gs. This allowed the driver to be decreased length if deployed on the moon from its, a length of 8.9 kilometers to a much more respectable 160 meters. It seemed to tense it more, uh, making this more commonplace or stalled to the cost of making this in a practical sense. A link to the video and other references will be provided in the show notes. Please check it out, especially the video of how the mass driver works. Also, one can think of this as similar to how a maglev train works, of course, not propelling passengers at an acceleration of 1800 Gs or a railgun. The mass driver could be used on, Earth, on the surface of the Earth as well. The track would be very long, a horizontal plane with a gentle curve upwards. Natural elevations using mountains could be used. The higher the track terminates, the less atmospheric resistance would be encountered. In order for this to be used to allow for humans to be on board, the track would have to be several hundred kilometers in length if there are no rockets attached to achieve low Earth orbit or LEO. Lastly, this concept has been theorized as a way to, to allow for propulsion for spacecraft. One potential drawback, as you can imagine with the system, is if a solid mass was used to propel from the aft portion of the craft, this would be expelled at a high rate of speed or velocity into orbit or traffic lanes. As a countermeasure, most schemes would use finely divided dust to achieve the desired effect without causing damage to other spacecraft or satellites. Although I won't go into specifics or do a very deep dive in this one aspect of the chapter that grabbed my attention, I will talk a little bit about this. The defense of air or IR city by the militia and new decides force very much reminded me of the defense of Japanese homeland in anticipation of the Allied invasion force. Having any able-bodied individuals, including youngsters and the elderly, use the last line of defense was quite reminiscent of what Japan was planning uh, towards the end of, the end of World War II. Also, remember in an early episode in this podcast how he touched on the Shinsengumi and how it was embodied in the new decides? Well, the very name Ayer City appears to have been influenced by the Battle of Aizu. This was part of the Bunshin War, which pitted shogunate forces, shogunate forces, or reactionary forces against imperial forces who wanted to embrace a newer and more modern Japan in 1868. Even the White Squadron feature in this episode was a reference to the Byakotai, or White Tiger Squad of young, even teenage samurai. The suicidal tendencies of the White Squad matched up with the actual seppuku of the Byakotai. Lastly, the name Kaiser Pinefield, the mayor, uh, relates actually to the ninth daimyo of Aizu, known as Matudera Katamori. The kanji for Matudera consists of pine and flat, which is a feature of a field, and Kaiser is related to Katamori. Next episode, Chapter 9 The Mass Driver. The new decides are pushed to the limit on the moon. Aino's fleet withdraws from the area, and the new decides try to leave Ayer City. Finally, Cod and Roots have a faithful encounter of time. Please be sure to check out the Twitter page at Gundam Sentinel 2, Instagram at Gundam Sentinel Podcast, or on Facebook. 
at facebook.com slash groups slash Gundam Sentinel podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate and give a review on whatever means you listen to this podcast and tell your Gundam a loving otaku friend to check it out. Until next time.